0: You know, the passage we've chosen tonight is one out of the book of Hebrews, and it is one that we recognize but don't identify well with because it basically compares the sacrifice of Christ to the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Uh, If you read through one of my favorite books, the book of Leviticus, which I'm going to guess may not be your favorite, but... Uh, It describes all the intricacy and all the detail and all the scope of the the different kinds of sacrifices that God required in order for his people to have fellowship with him. And the the striking reality that Christ fulfills all of those things so that we have immediate access into the presence of our Heavenly Father. The reason I uh, picked this passage is because it is one that's not often used. And secondly, it helps us think about things, hopefully in a personal way, that often we don't relate to. And I'll explain that in a minute. I want to start by reiterating for some of you, unfortunately, my story, because the things that unfold in this text really reflect personally to me. I I remember as I I accepted Christ when I was about six or seven in backyard Bible clubs. But I had a pretty fragile self-image, and one that was often broken, and so as I moved into my teen years, there was nothing more that I wanted to do than to live for Jesus, but struggled desperately with the reality that I kept failing. At least in my own mind, I couldn't do it right, and much of that came from my relationship with my own dad. There is nothing that I wanted more in life than to do things that pleased my earthly father. And yet every time I tried, I always felt like I failed, not necessarily because of what my dad did, but because how I interpreted what my dad didn't said. I would do something, like I remember building the shed out in the backyard and putting it all together and constructing it, and he went out and said, wow, that's a great job, except a flat roof won't drain the water, you should have put a slant on it. And for some reason in that, instead of seeing that as encouragement to maybe improve, I took that as a a failure. And as I began to think through this, I began to try to do things so that my dad would never find anything wrong. And the only way that I perceived he'd be pleased with me and proud of me is if I did things where he could never find anything wrong. And through my early teen years, it put me on a pursuit of perfectionism that became not only a a catalyst to become a very angry person, but also convinced of my complete and total failure, not only as a son, but as a human being. When I journeyed through to college, there were some things that I'll finish with tonight that helped fix some of those bad things in my own head. But one of the things that this passage does is that it helps us make a comparison of not only something that Jesus did that solved the problems that Israel faced, but it also translates into the way we can possibly live in, in a fractured way. For instance, what this passage is telling us is that Christ is a much better sacrifice than all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. I know one of the questions I got this week was a question about, is, is the Old Testament completely irrelevant to us? I mean, do, does it have any value to us at all? Well, the writer of Hebrews wanted to help the Jews understand that Christ was a much better sacrifice and so he compares it he compares Jesus as our high priest every priest it says in chapter 10 stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices that can never take away sins and so even though God legislated and commanded it There's also this reality that just offering sacrifices, going through religious rituals that God had actually required really in and of themselves didn't change their status with God. God accepted it, but the only way those things would have any value and meaning ultimately is when Christ came and died. And so we have this comparison that in the Old Testament they had a priest that served in the tabernacle and they offered sacrifices every single day and time after time because the people kept being reminded of their sin and the only way that they could find peace with themselves is to keep coming back and and these sacrifices as we're going to be told are the things that cleansed at least ceremonially according to the flesh. But we're also reminded that these sacrifices in the Old Testament would do nothing, ultimately. That Christ was the only sufficient sacrifice that in the mind of a holy personal God would actually take away sin. It also reminds us that we are sinners. That even with Israel, there had to be a way that they could approach a holy and perfect God, and all of them had to abide by it. The Old Testament system was a concrete picture of what God planned to do in reality through His Son. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, what God really desired was their heart. But one of the things that became very true for the people of Israel is that it was very easy to honor God with their lips, but their heart was far from Him. Christ is a better sacrifice because He is our actual Savior. It tells us in 9.13, If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctifies for the cleansing of the flesh, but they can never take away sins, it compares that to Christ entered the perfect tabernacle through his own blood, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. And so the Old Testament is like a living illustration, a picture of something that was like a, a small miniature model of what Christ was going to be able to secure and only Christ could secure for us before a holy God. In, in this journey, as you read through Hebrews, it is a profound and deep journey to understand the very nature of relationship with God and Israel unfortunately struggled because they were faithful at keeping the rules, the regulations, the the, the sacrifices, but they never really got their heart into it. Jesus entered through His own death once and for all by the work of the Spirit of the living God. He was the most perfect, pure, holy, Sufficient sacrifice that who alone could, could satisfy the debt of our sin? And this is where I want to, to become really personal for us. Because even though most of us have very little association with the Old Testament rituals and, and the religion and the sacrificial rules and sacrifices and all the regulations and traditions that were established, in order to have any kind of relationship with God, it was absolutely a provision for God to cover sin when ultimately they couldn't actually take away sin. Christ's death was the veil that fully fulfilled the eternal problem of our sin before God himself. The law created a system of works and religious duties and responsibilities that the people were faithful to but often became indifferent to. But it makes me pause to say simply this. As human beings, we love religion. The reason for religion is that everything's pretty black and white. Here's how you offer the sacrifice. Here's how you prepare the sacrifice. If you check these boxes and go through all the rituals and all the procedures, then you offer that, God will accept it. Because there's something about religion that gives us a a pathway, it gives us responsibilities, it makes it really clear and black and white. And if I go through these steps, then I'm good. But religion and religious practices, ceremony and tradition do not change our status before God any more than animal sacrifices ultimately could never take away sins. And I say all that because the Old Testament picture of sacrifices is often a great picture of church and religion today. I've visited all kinds of churches, as I'm sure many of you do, and they all have different practices and traditions and rituals. And and churches put lots of different weight on those kinds of things. But the danger for our church, like any other church, is is if you just go through these rituals, if you go through these religious practices, and and you go through these ceremonies that we do, then, then you'll be good. And I believe the same thing can exist for us as it did for Israel, and even the Old Testament sacrifices. There's this tension between God really wanting our heart, And it's so easy to go through practices and traditions and rituals and ceremonies just like Israel did. And yet it changes nothing in terms of the condition of my own spirit and conscience. The question I often have been asked is that, well, do you make people get baptized in your own church? What happens when what we're going to do on Sunday is take communion? How does... How do you view that? And I simply say that God has orchestrated things in such a way that if a person never comes to our church and gets baptized or takes communion or any of those things, they can still be saved without being here. Because Christ creates an open door for every person, whether they've grown up in a church, they're part of a religion, or whether they're just their own God doing their own self-directed life. And yet it's very easy to get trapped into the, because I go to this church and I do these things, that's what makes me acceptable to God. And and what we discover is that the sufficiency of the sacrifices in the person of Jesus, not in any kind of, even in the Old Testament, not because of any of the rituals or the sacrifices or the traditions that they created. One of the statements in 9.13 is that animal sacrifice is sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. In 14 it says, Christ's sacrifice sanctifies for the cleansing of our conscience. And what men and women and humanity needs is something that changes the heart and purifies the conscience, not just pacifies our guilt. It doesn't just make me do things in an attempt to try to please God, we find that we are accepted only because of our relationship with Jesus. The law created a system of works and religious duties that ended up being external. It cleansed the flesh. It cleansed ceremonial, the the practices and the outward, but it, it couldn't look at the heart. The law couldn't get to the heart of the issue. It could only keep pointing out to people when they had failed, when they had sinned. But Christ's sacrifice does something so much more profound is that it's not as worried about the externals, it gets to the heart of the issue, and that is we are at the heart of our being, we are sinful and separated from him. And as I think about this, one of the things that's been a personal journey for me and for many other people I know is that there's a great danger between religious people and people who aren't religious, people who go to church and those who don't, to convince themselves that if, that if I believe in God at all, the best way that I, God is pleased with me, that God is proud of me as a child of God or, or someone who's basically good, is that if I do all the right things and, and I think of others and I go through a process of, of serving, then God will be happy with me. God will be pleased with me. And as I begin to look at this contrast, what I discover is that there's a real danger that many people serve God to clear their conscience rather than let God clear their conscience in order to serve God. And I run into this all the time with people and I've experienced it myself is that the dysfunction that we experience even with our own fathers and our own families often is projected onto God. And so I spent years and years going, listen, I can't make my own dad proud of me. There's no way I'm gonna make God proud of me. And so I kept working harder at it and I kept pushing, trying to do things more perfectly. And I run into people all the time, some are Christians, many of them are Christians, that we have this idea in our life that if I just work harder and if I just push harder and if I just get it a little more right, then God will be more pleased with me, that then he will be proud of me. And the real danger is that it's very clear from this text that it's not about going through religious practices. It's not about just doing religious traditions. It's not about ceremony. It is about having relationship with a real person named Jesus Christ. Because he didn't die for angels. He died for you and I. He sacrificed himself to restore us to him. And I know that I'm gonna polarize this statement But I I want you to think a little bit about fitting into one or two categories tonight, whether you're a Christian or whether you're seeking or whatever you're at in life. That the danger with religious systems, we love them because I can check the boxes and I can convince myself I'm right with God, but it's always the danger that that if that's our core motivation, that I have to keep working and managing my sin and keeping in control of it and doing all the right things, that I will seek to try to please God and it will be an endless journey of frustration and anger and failure because we can't check enough boxes off and go through enough ceremony for Him to be proud of us. But relationship with Christ is at the core of their motivation is to trust Christ. To trust what He did on the cross to trust the promises of God that if we surrender to Him, then He will forgive us rather than spending all our time trying to make up for all our failure. In Bill Thrall's and John Lynch's book called True-Faced, he said this, In a sincere but misguided attempt to please God, many of us strive to fix our sin. We soon discover that it doesn't fix very well or for very long, and we try to hide and pretend that it isn't there. But this only leads to more hiding and more pretending and more despair, and nothing ever changes. We fear that God is almost never pleased with us. He goes on and says, Their idea is to draw a clear distinction between two different underlying motives, the way you live your life in relationship to God. That is either to please God or to trust Him. And if we get in the cycle that I have to keep doing the next best thing to keep God pleased with me, you're in for an endless journey of despair. The resulting difference from these two starting points could not be more profound. The starting point of trusting Him or trying to please Him One results in striving that never feels it's done enough to please him. The other results in trust that experiences his full pleasure. Our motives as followers of Christ will keep us either unresolved sin and immature or free us into God's astonishing dream for our lives. It's one thing to come to a Good Friday service and to remember and think and sing about the Jesus who died for us. But I think the deeper question that Christ wants to ask us is, do you trust me or are you trying to impress me? Are you driven out of fear and anxiety that I'm, if you don't do enough things, I'm going to reject you? Or can you rest in the reality that in Christ, you are my child and I love you and I will never forsake you? One of the ways I try to think about this is that if I never preached another message or did another thing for the rest of my life that contributed to the kingdom work of the gospel, would God be happy or pleased with me or would he be disappointed in me? Would he love me less than if I did the right things? That's a trick question for a lot of people. But once I discover that God loves me and I'm a child of God and I'm absolutely secure in his presence, I absolutely know that if I didn't do, not out of disobedience, but never, he never used me to make one more contribution for the rest of my life, he wouldn't love me any less, he wouldn't accept me any less, he wouldn't reject me because I haven't performed well. And there are all kinds of Christians whose whole life is driven by trying to prove to God that I'm worth it. And I want you to think about this question. Are you a person whose core motivation in his life is to serve God in order to clear your conscience or that you allow Christ to purify your conscience and your heart so that you have the freedom to experience the fullness of God and to serve him freely? Christ's death isn't a perfunctory religious ceremony that we remember. It is God's Son who sacrificed himself not to inspire us to be better, not to be a catalyst so that we would love others more, but to help us rea- understand the reality of our sin and our absolute desperate need to humble ourselves before him and acknowledge that we're sinners. Sinners that we're undeserving of any of his mercy and that it's only by his grace that he allows me to come to the reality that he can forgive me and purify my conscience so I stop striving to prove my worth and I rest in the delight and the joy that God loves me in spite of who I am because of all that Christ did I wasn't fooling about Israel, in Isaiah chapter 29, this was God's condemnation of Israel. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of the wise men will perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. The way we honor Jesus and his unbelievable and unimaginable sacrifice where he shed his blood and gave up his life so that we could step back into relationship with God the Father isn't based on our merits, it isn't based on our accomplishments. Ephesians 2 says it's not based on our works and our performance, it's based on the reality that Christ died because we are without hope in this life apart from His grace. Many individuals have spent their entire lives serving God, yet they are broken, defeated, lonely, and full of despair. They have embraced a theology of rebuilding their old barns, so to speak. They have placed all their efforts in trying to be good. And frankly, the most dishonoring thing we can do in recognizing Good Friday and the sacrifice of Christ is not to accept it that we actually reject it because we say, God couldn't accept me, I'm too much of a failure. God could never be pleased with me because I fail too many times. God could never use me because I'm just too worthless. I don't compare to other people. Rather than simply getting on our knees before his throne of grace and saying, God, I am a broken, sinful human being, And I'm actually going to accept the fact that Christ died for me because I can't save myself and I can't earn it and I'm never going to be basically good enough and I want to simply surrender to you, allow you to forgive me and to cleanse my conscience from all the clutter and all the bad beliefs and all the demands and expectations." And help me to embrace the reality of your love and that you love me perfectly in Christ and I'm a child of God that you will never forsake or abandon. I'll tell you, my journey through my teen years was pretty difficult. I became more angry at myself because I couldn't do things perfectly. I kept trying to please my dad and some of you have heard me say this before, of all the things and discussions that I've had with my dad and I do remember a few of them, the one that is embedded in my mind forever and ever, is when we sat and we're watching TV in the TV room, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he came off with this comment, Now you gotta remember, I've spent all my teen years trying to do things so that he would be proud of me. And his comment was, I know that you guys don't like me very much, but you better treat your mom right. you know what that did to me as a person who spent all their teen years trying to make my dad proud of me? I, I tell people this all the time. If there was a baseball bat in that room, I would have picked it up and beat him to a pulp because I'd worked so hard for him to say, hey, I'm proud of you. And I, all I got was this disdain like, yeah, I know that you guys don't even care about me. And yet, that's exactly at times the way we treat our Heavenly Father. We basically reject the sufficiency of all that Christ did and the promise that God says, I will forgive you and accept you on the basis of being in my Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, we keep trying to impress Him. And we keep trying to do things to make us feel better because we just want someone to say, I'm proud of you. And I can tell you by experience, it wasn't until I got to college and I took this book called Inside Out and read a chapter eight where it talks about the demands that we have on other people and sometimes even God. Where we expect to get things from them that God never created them to be able to give to us. We want other people to make us happy. We want others to make us successful. We want to try to prove to people we're significant. And as Christians, there's nothing that would dishonor the sacrifice of God's Son more than refusing to accept that we have value in Christ, that we're significant because of his sacrifice, and God loves us for the way we are, and there's nothing that we will ever do where he will love us any less than he does right this moment. Do you serve God to try to cleanse your conscience? Or do you trust God to cleanse your conscience so that you can be free to enjoy and serve him? Tonight may be the night where the practical reality of all that Christ did needs to hit deep into your spirit and your soul. And it might begin by saying, God, forgive me for trying to prove to you that I'm worth it. Forgive me of my bad beliefs, forgive me of my performance-driven attitude, and forgive me for being angry at you because you won't cater to my brokenness. You love me because of Christ. You accept me because of Christ. I am a child of God because of of Christ. I've been forgiven. I have value. I'm a co-heir with other believers. I'm called to bear fruit. I'm called to walk in relationship with Christ. Father, we... Humbly bow before you that remembering a historical event, uh, event of all that Christ did for us is so critical that of all the things that we think are important in this life, sometimes we lose sight of it and there's nothing that can bring us back to the reality of all that you have done than Good Friday. For you have been one that has offered the most perfect sacrifice, your own son, so that we don't have to just depend on religious practices or traditions in order to try to cleanse our conscience from our stuff with a hope that you will finally accept and be pleased with us. But it's out of sheer relationship with Jesus Christ and surrendering to you by accepting your love as you demonstrated it in him, that you will cleanse our heart and the pain in the woundedness of our own spirit so that we have the freedom to enjoy all that you have lavished upon us in your son. And we can stop striving. We can learn to trust you. We can learn to value the sacrifice of Christ in a way that honors you May you cleanse our conscience from dead works and dead beliefs and corrupted ideas so that we might indeed serve you. And Father, keep us from trying to serve you in order to cleanse our conscience. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.